two notes before we begin this deep dive into the unfolding Trudeau scandal. The first is professional, the second is personal. The professional one is twofold. First, of course, I am not a lawyer, and therefore, as I delve into and try to deal with the thorny entanglements of the legal issues in this case, please bear that in mind. Of course, the sources for all that I talk about will be included below. The second is more personal, in that I have the distinct suspicion that passion may well overwhelm me during the course of this presentation, because it was in the research and explication of this scandal that I realized just how much and how deeply I love this great country of Canada. This country that gave my family shelter, succor, when my family was attempting to flee or did flee the creeping socialism that was occurring in England in the 1970s under the Labour Party. I fear and I feel that that rot has followed me here to Canada, at which point now it seems that there's little to do but turn and fight with all my might. This magnificent country, these kind people, this free air, this glorious tradition, this magnificent wilderness. I have spent quite a deal of time in the Canadian wilderness. Uh, after high school, I spent some time as a prospector and gold panner in northern Ontario, Manitoba, Saskatchewan. I went to three of the major universities in Canada, uh, York University, McGill University, graduating with a master's degree from the University of Toronto. I also went to the National Theatre School. I spent a couple of years living school years in Montreal. I spent one glorious summer in my teens in St. John's, Newfoundland, so I have traveled quite extensively over the length and breadth of this glorious country, and I deeply, deeply fear for its future and the continuance of the freedoms that have made Canada such a wonderful place to live for these last many decades. So, I hope you will forgive me if passion overwhelms me during the course of this presentation. So let's start with some background. Jody Wilson-Raybould is the daughter, she's the hereditary daughter of Kwaki Util Chief Bill Wilson. Now he was actually a lawyer who negotiated with Justin Trudeau's father to make sure that Aboriginal rights were included in Canada's 1982 constitution. That's quite a backstory. Of course, Justin Trudeau's father, Pierre Trudeau, was a former Prime Minister of Canada. And this issue, in a sense, is powerful because it's almost like the superhero battle of two people who've been born to power. One is the daughter of a hereditary chief, and the other is the son of a former Prime Minister and Canadian icon, who we will deal with shortly. The BBC, this is a quote, I just thought this was quite delightful in a dark kind of way, said this, Justin Trudeau is, a, is Canada's Prime Minister. He won a majority government in 2015 on a platform of transparency, gender equality, and a commitment to reconciliation with Canada's indigenous peoples. Each one of those is taking body blows from this unfolding scandal. Now, Justin Trudeau has had some problems, a groping allegation that was handled rather clumsily. And then in 2017, this is from another source, the Ethics Commissioner has ruled that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau broke Canada's ethics law over two all-expenses-paid family trips to the Bahamas, rejecting the assertion his host was a close friend and dismissing the rationale for accepting helicopter flights to the private island. The report said Mr. Trudeau violated four sections of the Conflict of Interest Act regarding two of the family trips last year, 
to Bell's Cay. The private island is owned by the Aga Khan, the billionaire spiritual leader of the world's Ismaili Muslims, whose organizations deal frequently with the federal government. Quick question out there for you. I know how to answer this myself. Do you deal frequently with the federal government? You just, do you have anyone on speed dial there? Can you get any meeting you want? The source goes on to say this, and Mr. Trudeau had maintained he broke no rules because public office holders are allowed to accept gifts from friends. But Ms. Dawson concluded the two men were not friends under the Conflict of Interest Act, having spoken only once in the 30 years before Mr. Trudeau became liberal leader. So, honor, honesty. Oh, no, we're very close friends. Really? How many times have you spoken? Once. Hmm. I was also, just for future reference, I'm very, very close friends with the telemarketer who called my house last night, just in case anything ever comes up. Now, regarding Justin Trudeau himself, it's a funny thing. Just about everyone has had in their life at one time or another, I know I have, someone who's just got involved with the wrong person. You know, the woman who comes home and says, well, yes, it's true that he does walk 19 pit bulls every day. He has swastika tattoos all up and down his forearms, but he's a good boy. <laughs> he's turning his life around. And you know it's going to be a disaster because people tell you all that you need to know within a few moments of meeting them. Justin Trudeau is no different. In 2013, Justin Trudeau expressed, and I quote, a level of admiration I actually have for China, end quote, with his reasoning that, quote, their basic dictatorship is allowing them to actually turn their economy around on a dime and say, we need to go green faster. We need to start investing in solar. Oh, well, there you see a confluence of so many powerful political and social and intellectual forces, a worship for what is basically a one-party state, still with heavy overlaps of the frozen, disastrous slaughters of Mao's regime, but an admiration because, you see, he doesn't have to respond to any particular will of the people. He can just control what, and the environmentalism as the driver for totalitarianism, you know, the old argument that most environmentalists, and, and I've got some bona fides in this, because I worked uh, in the software field. I developed software that helped corporations reduce emissions and pollutions and so on. So I care about the environment just as you do. But there is an old saying that says basically that environmentalists are useful idiots for Saudis, right, because they prevent, environmentalists prevent oil drilling outside of Middle Eastern countries. Therefore, the Middle East gets more of a monopoly on oil and more Western money gets shipped to theocracies in the Middle East. And also that um, they're useful idiots for hard leftists, right? The, the environmentalists are kind of like watermelons, like green on the outside, red on the inside. So there's a lot in that. So Trudeau, and this is not when he was a kid. This is two years before he assumed power. He has an admiration for a basic dictatorship. Now, it's not just Justin Trudeau, and this is from McLean's again, sources below, and I quote, Back in the summer of 2006, Pierre Trudeau's youngest son, Alexandre or Sasha Trudeau, wrote a fawning happy 80th birthday column in the Toronto Star in praise of then-Cuban dictator Fidel Castro. The piece included tributes such as how the revolutionary leader was a, quote, great adventurer, a great scientific mind, end quote, someone whose, quote, intellect is one of the most broad and complete that can be found. I mean, he's Cuba's Hitler, right? 
The article goes on to say, Castro, Trudeau claimed, was, quote, an expert on genetics, on automobile combustion engines, on stock markets, on everything. Alexandra pressed upon his readers to analyze Castro in, quote, psychoanalytical terms, end quote, to think of Cubans as children and Castro as their father. Trudeau then fondly recalled his late brother, Michel, who, when they were young kids, complained to their mother that he had fewer friends than his brothers. Margaret Trudeau, Justin Trudeau's mother, replied that unlike his brothers, Michel, quote, had the greatest friend in, of all. He had Fidel. Fidel Castro. I don't believe the rumors, by the way, but they're funny. Bob Plamondon, author of a 2013 biography of Pierre Trudeau. Where does this come from? This worship of totalitarianism uh, and of people like Castro. So this guy who authored a 2013 biography of Pierre Trudeau recounts how Trudeau, the elder, visited the Soviet Union in 1952 to discuss economics. This accompanied by four Canadian communists. Quote, It was there that he remarked to the wife of U.S. Chargé de Fer that he was a communist and a Catholic and was in Moscow to criticize the U.S. and praise the Soviet Union. Pierre Elliott Trudeau, who opened up Canada to the great multicultural experiment that threatens to reduce whites to a tiny minority this century alone. He remarked, Justin Trudeau's father remarked to the wife of the U.S. Chargé d'Affaires that he, Pierre Trudeau, was a communist and a Catholic and was in Moscow to criticize the U.S. and praise the Soviet Union. It goes on, in 1960, Pierre Trudeau accompanied, uh, sorry, accepted an invitation from the Chinese government to visit along with Jacques Hébert, a friend whom Trudeau would appoint to the Senate. They traveled around China for six weeks on a state-sponsored tour, and they did so smack dab in the middle of a wrenching state-imposed famine. That praises Russia under Stalin and goes on a state-sponsored tour under Mao's China in the midst of a famine that was killing tens of millions of people, where people were so hungry that they were ripping the bark off trees and gnawing on it, where they would rip open pillows and attempt to eat the feathers inside when they would try to eat the leftover skin of garlic. And what happened to the dead can scarcely be imagined. In Cuba in 1964, Pierre Trudeau said, quote, When you see mass rallies with Fidel Castro speaking for 90 minutes in 100-degree heat, you wonder, what is the need for elections? Outright praise of murderous Dictators. Fidel Castro, of course, worked closely with Che Guevara, who was a child murderer. One of the basic tests of sociopathy is to just find out if somebody admires or wears T-shirts off someone like Che Guevara. On 26 November 2016, Canadian Prime Minister, already Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, praised Fidel Castro in a statement about the former Cuban dictator's death. And I quote, while a controversial figure, both Mr. Castro's supporters and detractors recognized his tremendous dedication and love for the Cuban people, who had a deep and lasting affection for El Comandante. I know my father was very proud to call him a friend, and I had the opportunity to meet Fidel when my father passed away. 
It was also a real honor to meet his three sons and his brother, President Raul Castro, during my recent visit to Cuba. I've got videos on Che Guevara and, and so on. You, you should really have a look at them. But just to put this praise, this licking the bloody boots of totalitarian power in context, Canada is in significant danger. So to put this in perspective, just from the years 1959 to 1987, the Castro regime murdered, slaughtered 73,000 Cubans. Now, if you put that in terms of population, currently, that would be almost 3 million people in America. Well over 300,000 people in Canada. Murdered. With no judicial process. Entirely corrupt. Because you know what happens in communist countries. They can't allocate anything efficiently because they have no price system, no free market. Therefore, everything goes to crap. Therefore, somebody must be blamed because communism can't be faulty. Therefore, you find your scapegoats and you just kill them. You shovel them into deep graves, you torture them, you murder them en masse. As I said, people tell you everything you need to know, right up front. So, let's look at the background for what's going on with this scandal. SNC-Lavalin is Canada's largest engineering and construction firm employing thousands of people across the country, and particularly in Auga, Quebec. Quebec, Quebec, Quebec. Bit of a thorn in the side. Well, for particularly for people in Alberta who wonder why Quebec jobs are worth so much more than Albertan jobs. But anyway. So it employs nearly 54,000 people worldwide, 9,000 people across Canada, 3,400 people in Quebec. It is headquartered in Montreal. Now, the fact that it's based in Quebec, SNC-Lavalin, is very important. For those who haven't been following Canadian politics, I mean... What else have you been doing with your time? Quebec is a swing province, and it's pretty necessary, generally necessary, for the Liberal Party to win it during an election, which is, of course, coming up in October 2019. When the Liberals win in Quebec, they often secure a majority of seats in Parliament. When they lose, well, they lose big, they lose hard, they lose deep. So Quebec is very, very important. It's really essential for the Liberals' pursuit of power. And, okay, so I don't know how to put exactly the Liberals. So in Canada, you've got the Conservatives, who seem to be having trouble conserving anything. You have the Liberals, who are far to the left of the centre, Conservatives, and then you have the uh, NDP, the New Democratic Party, and they are really uh, hard uh, to the left. And so they'd probably be somewhere between the Democrats and, like the current Liberals, somewhere between the Democrats and Chairman Mao. Now, that's probably too far. <laughs> but a little bit to the left of the Democrats, I would say. Because, I mean, they obviously, everybody in Canada now supports completely socialized medicine. So, anyway. Now, in autumn 2018, in the time of this scandal, this drama, Quebec was in the middle of a really bitter and strenuous provincial election. And eventually, the Quebec liberal premier got ousted during this election. So, this was a fever pitch time to hang on to power in Quebec for the Liberals, and this is the backdrop for what's going on with this scandal. So we're going to do a little bit of a timeline here, just so you can get things, uh, the sort of dominoes in sequence. And we're going back to February the 19th, 2015. So the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted 
police. You may have seen them on a maple cookie box in a neighborhood near you. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police lays corruption and fraud charges against SNC-Lavalin over allegations that it used bribery to secure government business in Libya. That's, of course, against the law in Canada. SNC-Lavalin says the charges are without merit and stem from, quote, allegedly reprehensible deeds by former employees who left the company long ago. Now, we sidebar. Corporations are not part of the free market. Corporations are legal fictions invented and created and largely designed to serve the ruling economic elites by allowing them to profit from business activities while not exposing any of their personal liabilities to any repercussions when um, the inevitable wrongs accrue to those legal fictions. So back in the day, uh, 19th century, early 20th century, in America and other places, if you ran a bank and your bank ran out of money, if you had a bank run, no, they could take your house, they could take your horse or whatever it was you had at the time, they could take your savings, so you were personal, so you really, really washed over things. Now you can just fold the corporations and move on and so on. So when a corporation does something wrong, it is a legal fiction that's designed to mask and obfuscate personal, moral, and financial responsibility in a legal system. I don't like them. I think that they're uh, wretched constructs. They're Anyway, so I just really, really want to point that out. Corporations are tricky to police. And they're also very, very useful as scapegoats. Or as, oh, we've got to raise taxes on corporations, they say all the time. Well... There's no such thing as a corporation. It's a legal fiction. The, the piece of paper doesn't, with the seal doesn't get up and go to work and do things in the real world. So when you raise taxes on corporations, you're just lowering their ability to invest, to grow, to pay their employees more, to give out more dividends to their shareholders, which helps the economy. Economy doing terribly in Canada, by the way. Just wretchedly uh, at the moment um, for reasons that, uh, well, I've talked about many times uh, on this show. So I just really wanted that little bit of sidebar because... Um, Morally, it gets quite complicated when you have this legal fiction called a corporation that uh, is problematic to, to pursue. So the RCMP alleges that between 2001 and 2012, I've seen it reported as 2011, which go to 2012, the company paid almost $48 million in bribes and defrauded various other entities of close to $130 million. Now, it's Canadian money, but that's still a lot of money, $130 million. Now, you can go to jail for stealing a purse worth 50 bucks, $130 million, almost $48 million in bribes. Now, I've heard some people say that they've confessed, uh, SNC-Lavalin. I've heard some people say that they're fighting it, so we'll just go as conservatively as possible. Now, the problem, of course, other than the monstrous moral issues involved, is that if SNC-Lavalin is convicted of this, then it, it is not allowed to bid on Canadian government business for 10 years, which will cripple its business in Canada. It would cripple and destroy its stock price. It would just be a giant mess. And of course, lots of pensioners are relying on it, the jobs and so on, and the Quebec political scene and the need to win that province in order to secure the election coming up in October 2019. So that is a very, very big deal. And of course, there's a big infrastructure expansion project and so on. But the reason why, of course, is that if the business can't be trusted, if it's a bribocracy, if it's corrupt and so on, then who's to say it's going to build anything honestly? Who's going to say that the bridges are going to hold up? Who's going to say that the roads aren't going to collapse, like fold in on themselves, like Florida sinkhole style? Who knows? 
So this is a, a, a big deal. This is more than just some people might go to jail, which is obviously for those people terrible enough, but why would the government care? Well, for these reasons. So October 19th, 2015, of course, the Liberals win the federal election taking power from the Conservatives. Conservatives, also not innocent in some of this uh, stuff, not well, to some degree with SNC, Lavalin, but other kinds of um, subsidies from the taxpayer to corporations, which is a big giant mess. Some people call it crony capitalism or crapitalism. Again, it's got nothing to do with the free market, but just by the by. So within two weeks after winning the election, Prime Minister, election, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau names Jody Wilson-Roybold as Minister of Justice and Attorney General of Canada. Now, this is a bit of a complicated thing. It's like a Janus thing. It's like a two-faced thing. That's probably the wrong way to put it, but you know what I mean. So the post has duties as a politician. You're heading the Department of Justice and a legal official. You're overseeing prosecutions. This is very, very important. I'm really trying to bring the philosophical angle to this, and there's something really, really important that nobody's talked about, which I'll get to soon. So back to the timeline, March 27th, 2018, the Liberals table a budget bill that includes a change to the criminal code allowing for remediation agreements, and sometimes called deferred prosecution agreements or DPAs. Now, and th those, those are in other countries for sure, but it's kind of buried in a big budget bill. And there was supposed to be all this public consultation, people were studying, and they just kind of slid this thing in, just in it goes, into this big giant budget bill, they just throw in this very important big change regarding these remediation agreements. So remediation agreements are a way of bypassing criminal convictions and the need for a trial. And what they do is they require a company to say, our bad, we, we, we admit wrongdoing, we're going to pay a fine, and we're going to submit to or obey other compliance conditions. But they get to avoid a guilty conviction in court. So some of these, uh, you, 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 you pay the financial penalty, you, you put these compliance measures, get some big ethics thing going on in your company, maybe reparations to victims, which I assume would be quite tough in the giant smoking crater of national destruction that Obama and Hillary turned Libya into, where it was a functioning but horrible democracy, and now it's uh, open-air slave markets and warlords roaming uh, the, uh, uh, the formerly somewhat civilized landscape. So a little tough to, to get all of that sort of stuff. It's kind of like a plea bargain, and it just allows you to avoid criminal. Now, it's, it's great for the government in a lot of ways, right? Because the government gets all these fines, gets money. It's a shakedown kind of thing, right? The government gets all this money. The, uh, and, and where does the money come from? Again, it doesn't come from the personal assets of the corporate officers. It doesn't come from the CXO board level. It doesn't come from their homes, their children's futures. It doesn't come from their registered educational saving plans or their retirement saving plans. Where does the money come from? Well, it comes from not giving raises to employees. It comes from not paying out money to shareholders. It comes from not investing in growth. It comes from no more R&D or less, right? So who, who pays for all of this? So that's quite important. And there has been reports that there was this internal federal analysis done in August 2017. And there was some significant concern about the downsides of these prosecution agreements, right? These um, remediation agreements or DPAs. Because what happens is by allowing people who've committed criminal actions potentially or allegedly by allowing them to buy their way out of this with other people's money, what are you, you just in, encouraging corporate misdeeds? Oh, you know, 
It's not really going to harm our stock price. We're not going to be dragged off to jail. There won't be any discovery or anything oogie like that. We'll just shell out some money. <laughs> Maybe what we'll do is we'll go to the government and say, well, you know, we're really in trouble. We could use a subsidy, you see. Otherwise, we're going to have to close up shop. We might have to move out of Quebec. I bet you that was threatened. Might have to move overseas. You don't get all that juicy tax revenue anymore. You got 9,000 people unemployed. Instead of them paying taxes, now you got to pay them unemployment insurance. That's quite a significant financial thing, Mr. Government. So maybe what you want to do is you want to give me a nice subsidy, and then I'll use part of that subsidy to pay this little fine that we've got going on here with the remediation agreement. So, And, I mean, I think we all know what's going on right now is, you know, people who've never had any real dealings with the legal system, they imagine, you know, it's kind of slow, but it trundles along, and the long arc of history bends towards justice, will prevail, blah, blah, blah. But uh, what's happening is they're seeing how things really work in the government and with lobbyists at the moment. And it's really, really not particularly nice. You know, it's like lifting up the carpet because you've got to do a little extra dusting and suddenly you get attacked by 19 vipers and uh, an anaconda and something that puffs mold into your nose. So when you see big corporations who are being accused of criminal actions just being able to throw money at the government and have all of that criminality vanish in a puff of compliance audits. People are like, eh, you know, it really does not, does not bolster my confidence in the legal system and its justice. And then what it does, of course, that kind of trickles down. And people say, well, if the big guys can get away with it, following the law is just what little people do. It's humiliating. So it's bad all around. And it hasn't turned out to be very, um, it hasn't turned out to be much of a control or a blowback against corporate malfeasance in other places where it's been tried. So anyway, now SNC-Lavalin, as you can imagine, previously lobbied really hard to put this provision into Canadian law, right? They, they knew what was coming down the pipe. Uh, I assume that's why a lot of people, they claim, did all this wrongdoing or could have done this wrongdoing or gone. So yeah, they were lobbying hard, you know. <laughs> Boy, that's, that's a pretty nice uh, get-out-of-jail-free card you got going on there, right? I mean, this is how the system works, right? We know this deep down, but ah, the lid is being lifted. And we are gazing into the squirming, interclasped, fiery fingers of hell itself because isn't that nice? Oh, you're going to be charged for something? Eh, no biggie. You know, we'll just lobby for a change in the law <laughs> so that we don't have to worry about it. Ooh, nice. So then in spring of 2018, before the bill has even passed, right? SNC-Lavalin provides public prosecution service lawyers detailed information in expectation of a remediation agreement. How did they know? Why did they think? September the 4th, 2018, the prosecution service tells SNC-Lavalin in writing that no remediation agreement will be forthcoming. <clears throat> There's where the big problem comes. This is the absolutely unexpected twist and turn and wrinkle in the whole story. SNC Lavalin, Lavalin lobbying hard for this provision in Canadian law. It goes through. They're in full expectation of getting this remediation agreement and avoiding any prosecution and avoiding any criminal trials and avoiding any potential jail time. And then, boom! Everything they've worked hard for, I assume everything they've lobbied for, doesn't come into being now. You're not, you're, you're not any kind of Quebec-based construction company if you take that one lying down. So then it escalates from there. So 
September 17th, Justin Trudeau and Wilson Raybould discussed the SNC-Lavalin file. Hmm. Now, in her role as Attorney General, right, this woman, Wilson Raybould, has the power to overrule the prosecution service, ordering it to negotiate an agreement with SNC-Lavalin. And this seems to be, of course, where the pressure was put for obvious reasons. But why does she push back? Look, Wilson, Raybould, there is so much that I strongly, if not downright vehemently, disagree with her in terms of politics. And I'm sure that she has a significant moral compass with regards to this. And something gave her the strength to push back against this overwhelming tsunami of pressure coming from the prime minister's office. But... There's another factor as well, which people haven't been talking about much. So if she overrules the prosecution service and says, you, you go negotiate one of these uh, remediation agreements with SNC-Lavalin, it has to be in writing and it has to be published in the Canada Gazette, right? That's the public registry of all federal decisions. So it's open to public scrutiny. It's open to challenge. And what happens to her reputation? There's some reason why they didn't want to do this remediation agreement. I don't know why. Um, I, I've tried looking it up, and I've basically went down a whole rabbit hole with no particular exit, so you can look it up yourself if you want. But if they said, no, we're not going to negotiate a remediation agreement, and Wilson-Raybould said, I'm overriding you, you must, and she has to publish why and what's going on, people are going to ask a whole bunch of questions. What's she going to say? If she doesn't have a good answer... Well, it doesn't look good for her. And she's got, well, her father at least had high ambitions way back in the day with Pierre Trudeau. Uh, Wilson Raybould's father was saying, oh, they're going to grow up, be lawyers and prime minister and so on. So girl's got some ambitions. And to be fair, right, again, she may have this great internal moral compass. And this is, um, uh, Ezra Levant characterized this as the greatest act of courage he's seen in Canadian politics in his lifetime. And I don't want to hold back any admiration that people may feel, and I certainly feel to some degree, towards her courage in this matter. That is not an easy thing to do at all. And it's actually a bit of a plus for diversity, which I've criticized in the past. And all of the old school frat boys had no problems with what was going on. But this woman coming in from the indigenous population uh, is able to stand up to all of this stuff. So I just really want a lot of moral courage, but also there is this challenge is you'd have to defend it. People would find out about it pretty quickly. So September the 18th, this is uh, 2018. SNC-Lavalin representatives meet with Privy Council Clerk Michael Wernick. Now this is Canada's most senior civil servant and this is far from the last time we will see old Mikey and Finance Minister Bill Morneau to discuss issues such as justice and law enforcement. Huh, <laughs> kind of important. Let's go back for a moment here. Yeah, September 4th? Nope, no remediation agreement. Huh, we better meet with a whole bunch of people to discuss justice and law enforcement. I bet you it's quite the opposite. September 21st, the remediation agreement provisions come into force, right? They become law. October 9th, once more in writing, the Director of Prosecutions confirms that she will not invite SNC-Lavalin to negotiate a remediation agreement. So this is Public Prosecution Service of Canada spokesperson Natalie Hull told CBC News, and I quote, The criminal code sets out the criteria for remediation agreements. The director of public prosecutions has determined that the criteria were not met. 
Now, some people have said that, you know, if you find wrongdoing and you go to the government and you confess, but, you know, if you're caught and, and then you say it's not true, then I don't know. I don't know what's going on with this, but they weren't met. So SNC Lavalin then decides to challenge that decision in federal court. That challenge remains ongoing. <laughs> Again, that's really quite amazing. Uh, and, and uh, you know, we know, we know, we know, we know that this is how the system works. Well, we're not getting what we want, despite all of our lobbying and feverish efforts and meetings with the Privy Council clerk and the finance minister. We're not getting what we want. So we're just going to go to court and say, hey, we're really, really upset that we might be charged with a criminal offense. So, yeah, we're going to take you to court. <laughs> it's wild. October 10th, SNC Lavalin issues a news release saying it strongly disagrees with the decision of the director of prosecutions and wants to negotiate a remediation agreement, you know, signaling, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, SNC Lavalin shares fall nearly 14%. They were actually halted in trading for a while, closing at $44.86, the lowest close since March the 2nd, 2016. October 11th, SNC Lavalin meets with Elder Marquez, a senior advisor in the Prime Minister's office to discuss justice and law enforcement. Boy, the number of times these guys met with the government. God, it's staggering. You know, you, you can't get anyone on tech support, no matter which continent you're dialing, but these guys can, yeah, drop whatever you're doing. We need a meeting. Okay. Uh, this is the uh, share price. It's gone back a year. All right, so it's on a little bit of a decline there. And uh, you can see that dip initially and then right now it's beginning to recover. Um, I wonder, I wonder why. Now, see, I don't know if you guys care about this business stuff. I find it quite interesting. I was involved in a company going public back in the day. So if your share price goes down, enough, then you can actually be subject to a hostile takeover where someone else is going to buy out your shares. So if your share prices go down a lot and you as a shareholder or your shareholders are one, uh, worried that it's going to go down further, they might accept somebody else buying out their shares or, or whatever it is. So you can be subject to a hostile takeover, which doesn't look particularly good for the liberals. And uh, that's quite uh, important. And... Um, the Quebec Premier, François Legault, says that SNC-Lavalin is one of the 10 publicly traded companies headquartered in Quebec. Uh, the province wants to keep them, obviously, and therefore it needs to have protection from a takeover that could or even would force the company to leave the province. So, um, I mean, hostile takeovers can be both good or bad, really depends uh, if you've got a corrupt board, a hostile takeover can really clean shop. So that's uh, just important to understand. A lot of strategy in play here. And of course, you know, pensions, investment fund, hedge funds, uh, you name it, all invested in this. So there's a lot of money on the table here. And, you know, there is this concern that money buys access, money buys power, money buys immunity from the law. So back to our timeline. Now we are into November, November 5th and 19th, SNC-Lavalin reps meet with Mathieu Burchard, a senior advisor to the Prime Minister's office, to further discuss, yes, you know it as well as I do, justice and law enforcement. Jan 14th, New Year. After the resignation of Treasury Board President Scott Brisson, Trudeau reorganizes his cabinet. I don't even know if he's Quebec, but I'll throw that pronunciation in. So what happens is Wilson Raybould is moved from justice to veterans' affairs. Now... 
you know, it's funny. Uh, because I'm just like an amateur outsider, I can just say stuff that I think, and it's, you know, not necessarily true. So people are hedging this. You know, when she's moved from justice to veterans affairs, it's widely seen as a demotion. No, it's a demotion. Come on. It's a demotion for sure. Not that the veterans don't matter. Of course, they do. And she was very sensitive to the plight of veterans when she was giving her testimony. But in terms of authority and power and influence and, and so on and stepping stone to higher office, it's a demotion. Come on. We all know it's a demotion. David Lametti, a Montreal MP and former law professor, becomes Justice Minister. February the 7th, 2019. We're getting closer, my friends. Citing unnamed sources, a Canadian newspaper reports that Trudeau's aides attempted to press Wilson-Raybould while she was Attorney General to intervene in the prosecution of SNC-Lavalin. And we'll get into this in more detail, but this is when it begins to break. Frustration with her lack of cooperation was reportedly one reason for demoting her out of justice. Right? So if you, if you won't drop the criminal prosecution of SNC-Lavalin, which, again, the criminal prosecution could take years, but there's something much more imminent than that, which is that the share prices go down enough, hostile takeover, and they bungee out of Quebec, and you lose Quebec, you lose power, and, you know, these the guys are power addicts, you understand? They're power junkies. Like, you know what, what people will do to get their fix if they're heroin addicts or, or meth addicts or PCP addicts or whatever? Philosophy addicts, okay. But people will destroy their families. They'll destroy their lives. They'll destroy their health just to get their fix. These people don't care about the future of the country, in my opinion. They just they want to keep power. They want to maintain power. I mean, people break the law in pursuit of their... And political power is physically addictive. This has been shown to be true, certainly in, in monkeys, right? You, you, high, you climb higher in the hierarchy of power. You climb up that tree of power in a monkey tribe, you get more dopamine, you get, you get addicted and you fall back down, you get depressed. Like they're addicted to power. For me, power over other human beings is repulsive. I hate it. But for these guys, it's what they live for. So yeah, if you're in the way, people break the law to get their trucks all the time, right? Now, Justin Trudeau, of course, has denied any impropriety. Now, citing solicitor client privilege, Wilson Raybould declines to speak about dealings she had on the case while she was attorney general. Again, I'm not a lawyer, so I mean, I understand attorney, solicitor client privilege, attorney client privilege. I understand that completely, right? And you talk to a lawyer, it's private and so on. But Justin Trudeau is not her client. Again, I, I'm sure people will tell me in the comments below, I just couldn't find like what this has to do with, with this of any kind. But anyway, that's what, uh, uh, what she said. February the 11th, Federal Ethics Commissioner Mario Dion says he's initiating an investigation. So don't worry, everyone. The federal government will be investigating itself. <laughs> so everything's going to be fine. February the 12th, Wilson Raybould resigns as Veteran Affairs Minister. She reports that she has hired former Supreme Court Justice Thomas Cromwell. It's actually a great name for a, for a justice to advise her on the limits of solicitor client privilege. And uh, Justin Trudeau did end up waving some after some pressure and so on. But it just doesn't seem fair that Trudeau could ramble on about it. She couldn't say anything because she's got qualms about violating solicitor client privilege, which I hugely respect and is, is great for her, of course. Trudeau says he is surprised and disappointed that Wilson-Raybould quit, adding that if she felt undue pressure as attorney general, she should have reported it to him. Mm. Yes, well... This is all very important and very powerful. Seriously. 
So, first of all, she says that he pressured her. So, if she felt undue pressure, what does undue pressure mean? I don't know. I don't know. What does undue pressure mean? She should have reported it to him. Does that mean he has no idea what his aides and his senior people are doing? The prime minister's office has no idea what they're doing. He had no idea. She should have come to him. She had a duty to come and report it to him. It's kind of like blaming the victim, right? Right, so... Of course he knew she was being pressured. He was doing the pressure. His people were doing the pressure. Pressuring. So just the idea, well, you know, it's like I I throw a tennis ball at your head and then later say, well, you know, if she feels that somebody threw a tennis ball at her head, she should have told me. February the 15th, Trudeau says Wilson Raybould asked him in September whether he would direct her one way or another regarding SNC-Lavalin. He says he told her he would not do so. Right. He can't direct her. He cannot direct her legally, right? So, of course, if she says, are you going to direct me? No. It's not the only way you can make things happen in politics, of course, right? So, February the 18th, Butts, who is Trudeau's principal secretary, resigns. Notice that's principal, not principal, L-E. Now, Butts denies any impropriety that says his continued employment in the prime minister's office has become distracting. Hmm. That is interesting. His continued employment in the Prime Minister's office has become distracting. Huh. I wonder. It seems to me that that might also apply to somebody else in the Prime Minister's office. But we'll get to that. Now, in 2019, the investigation has continued to affect SNC-Lavalin. Its CEO has continued to face criminal charges in regards to alleged bribes in contracts between 2001 and 2011. A new investigation involving potential bribery in relation to a repair contract in the early 2000s has been reported by La Presse. On February 27, 2019, at the hearing of the House of Commons Justice Committee, Wilson Raybould spoke for almost four hours about the SNC-Lavalin controversy, and we'll get into more detail about that. She testified that she had been inappropriately pressured to prevent the Montreal-based company from being prosecuted. Now, again, to sort of my lack of, of training in, in law, amateur outside opinion, blah, blah, blah. So she says, no, they didn't commit any crime, but it was inappropriate. But I've actually had a look at the law, and <laughs> given that ignorance of the law is no excuse, and you and I expected to obey it, I kind of think it was more than inappropriate. But uh, that remains to be seen. Ezra Levant tweeted from a Rebel Media. Uh, we've done a show together before. He tweeted, It's against the law to pressure the Attorney General to obstruct a criminal prosecution. Here's Canada's criminal code. Section 139, bracket 2, is obstruction. It carries a 10-year prison term. Now, he is a lawyer, so I assume he knows what he's talking about. Smart guy. It's against the law, he says, to pressure the Attorney General to obstruct a criminal prosecution. It carries a 10-year prison term. So I, I don't know what any of this means. Because it seems that if what she says is true, then people broke the law. If she says they didn't break the law, that's for some reason I can't follow. I'm, just, I'm telling you straight up front. I mean, some of these confusions are beyond me. Maybe they're not. Maybe, but maybe they are. All right. So, over the course of three hours, actually closer to four, Wilson Raybould accused in, entire 
most senior ranks of the federal government of making, quote, veiled threats, end quote, uh, against her while attempting to politically interfere in the criminal prosecution of SNC-Lavalin. So this is really the pulsing nuclear heart of the issue. Entire most senior ranks of the federal government, she said, made veiled threats against her while attempting to politically interfere in the criminal prosecution of SNC-Lavalin. How is that not interfering? I don't know. Again, I don't know. She's getting advice, not from me, because I'm not a lawyer, but she's getting advice from someone. Now, the issue of jobs is going to come up, which we'll talk about in a sec. So Wilson-Raybould reported to the committee's MPs that over a four-month period in late 2018, she was pressured by Finance Minister Bill Morneau and his staff, Clerk of the Privy Council Michael Wernick, senior aides in the Prime Minister's office, including former Principal Secretary Gerald Butts, the guy who quit or resigned, and Chief of Staff Katie Telford. Now, just so what do you understand with the Office of the Prime Minister, uh, of course, it should be OPM, but it's not. Um, so it's PMO, Prime Minister's Office, one of the most powerful parts of the Canadian government. There's the Prime Minister and his or her top political staff, and they, of course, have the responsibility to advise the Prime Minister on decisions. So the office is wholly partisan. It's not a neutral office, like the Department of Prosecution is supposed to be politically neutral as far as I understand it. So the, the PMO, if, if people are swarming into your office from the most powerful office in Canada for partisan political reasons, that's a very big deal. And uh, we'll get into why. So Wilson-Raybould reported being pressured even by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau himself. And he's the guy who said, well, she had a duty to let me know if she felt unduly pressured. Again, I don't know what unduly means. What does that mean? No, no headlock? I don't know what that means. So Wilson-Raybould said, for a period of approximately four months between September and December of 2018, I experienced a consistent and sustained effort by many people in the government to seek to politically interfere in the exercise of prosecutorial discretion. All right, let's just get back a little bit here. It is against the law to pressure the Attorney General to obstruct a criminal prosecution, says Ezra Levant. Ten-year prison term. Let's go back here. For a period of approximately four months, she says, between September and December 2018, I experienced a consistent and sustained effort by many people in the government to seek to politically interfere in the exercise of prosecutorial discretion. So that seems quite important. Wilson-Raybould said the pressure was based on partisan concerns, including by Trudeau, who she claims reminded her in a September conversation that he was a Quebec MP himself. So these are not economic considerations, right? So some people make the argument, Ezra mentioned this in one of his uh, videos, some people make the argument, say, well, you know, they can say, well, the jobs are important and we should keep the jobs and, and we want to keep the company in Montreal because it's good for the economy. I think that's crap too. I think that's garbage too. But nonetheless, you could say, well, that's a consideration. However, if you say you need to change your decision and you need to not prosecute this company because it helps keep us in political power. Well, that is a whole different. You could argue good of the country economics, but good of the party is, is partisan, right? It's no longer good of the country, right? Justin Trudeau reminded her, Wilson-Raybould, of the political consequences of prosecuting a giant Montreal-based company during the then ongoing Quebec election. 
interference in an election. That's what I mean. Like it's it's uh, it's terrible. It's terrible. This is a grave danger. It's a grave danger for the state, for the nation. Wilson Raybould characterized the conversation as, quote, clearly inappropriate, end quote, and said that it included the suggestion that, quote, a collision with the prime minister on these matters should be avoided. Sorry, I said that wrong. A collision with the prime minister on these matters should be avoided. She reported that one conversation with Wernick, right, that's Privy Council Clerk Michael Wernick, Canada's most senior civil servant, on December 19, 2018, reminded her of the Saturday Night Massacre. Now, Saturday Night Massacre, that's when the U.S. president, way back in the Watergate days, he fired the independent prosecutor who was investigating the Watergate scandal. Wait, what happened to Richard Nixon? That's right, he resigned. She's being careful, but she's also being quite blunt, as far as I can see. So, everybody's pressuring her to drop the criminal prosecution for political reasons, in my view, right? Because they want to keep Quebec, because they, it's important, they, there's a big election going on, they want to maintain power in the province. So drop your criminal prosecution of this company for political considerations, in my opinion. She says, no. No, 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 not going to do it. Again, dislike her in many ways in terms of her politics, but give credit where credit is due. That is a ballsy move. So, she says no. The following month, Trudeau basically fired her. From her role as Attorney General and Justice Minister, moved her to Veterans Affairs. She believes this demotion may have resulted from her refusal to comply with the Prime Minister's desires regarding the SNC-Lavalin case. However, she said the PMO has denied that this was the reason she was moved. See, why would you move someone out of a position if they were doing what you wanted? Just basic, right? If, if someone's doing what you want them to do, like if I hire someone to, to mow my lawn and they're mowing my lawn, you're fired. Why? I'm mowing your lawn well. No, I'm just arbitrary. I'm capricious and arbitrary. So... Must have been some displeasing. Must have been some displeasing. And what, what else? What other reasons have been given? I don't know. I couldn't find any. So according to Wilson-Raybould, it was not wrong for senior officials to bring concerns about job losses in the early stages of the decision. To me, it's like, okay, all right. So you should put that in the law and you should say these deferred prosecution agreements or whatever. Yeah, okay, if you're a big enough and powerful enough con company and you employ this number of people, you get a special leg up. You get a special advantage. Just put it in the law, but they don't want to put it in the law, right? They don't want to put it in the law. They want it in the smoky back rooms. They want it something they can wheel and deal about. They don't want to put it in the law. It's too obvious, right? They're hoping this stuff never gets shown. I mean, the liberal government just opened up the bomb bays of cash over the Canadian media, giving them all close to $600 million in bailouts and subsidies and you name it. They're raining money on the mainstream media. So everything comes with a price. They didn't pay me. 
Good. So she said, right, once the decision had been made to prosecute, the, quote, long-sustained discussions about the job losses, quote, end quote, crossed the line and then became even worse. She said, leaving aside job losses, where they became very clearly inappropriate was when political issues came up like the election in Quebec, like losing the election if SNC were to move their headquarters, conversations like that. Again, from the outside, <laughs> looking outside the shaken snowball globe of Ottawa that obfuscates these clarities from the general population, it seems more than inappropriate to me. She said, conversations like the one I had with the clerk of the Privy Council, who invoked the Prime Minister's name throughout the entirety of the conversation, spoke to me about the Prime Minister being dug in, spoke to me about his concerns as to what would happen. In my mind, those were veiled threats, and I took them as such. That is entirely inappropriate. After the committee testimony, Trudeau said he, quote, completely disagrees, end quote, with Wilson Rabel's characterization of events and said the decision regarding the SNC Lavalin case was always hers alone. Again, I don't even agree that talking about job losses is okay, because if you have a law, it should be independent of the size and economic strength of the entity you're reviewing. If the law fades out, if you get bigger and bigger, just say that. Oh, if the company has this many employees, you don't have to you know, prosecute or it's much less likely to prosecute or whatever. But she didn't want to say that, right? If this had been a smaller company, not politically connected, without a stranglehold on, on what was perceived to be the outcome of the election in the fall, last fall, in Quebec, if it had been a smaller company, right, they would have gone for the gusto, I'm sure. So then she has to explain, because it gets out, in public records, she has to explain why. Uh, can she explain why? Why? And remember, everything's a precedent, right? Or can be. Now, this is, I mean, he disagrees with lots of people, including the woman who said he groped her, but completely disagrees. You know, this feminist, he says he's a feminist, right? He completely disagrees with Wilson Raybould's characterization of events. Wow. Let me tell you why this is huge. And, and this is, people aren't talking about this. I don't know why. This is why this is huge. If she's correct about what happened, it's really bad. It's really bad. Whether the RCMP is going to end up laying obstruction of justice charges, I don't know. I think it's possible they could, certainly as far as an amateur reading of the law goes. Yeah, it seems to be in that vicinity. So if she's right, it's terrible. Now, if she's crazy, if she's just making everything up, then she is accusing people of serious wrongdoing. Even let's just say it's not criminal. Let's just stay with her highly, clearly inappropriate, whatever, right? So this woman is accusing people of serious wrongdoing. And she's wrong. But she's in charge of prosecutions. Which means that Justin Trudeau hired and put this woman 
in charge of justice and as the Attorney General of Canada, and she's prone to making up allegations about people. That's crazy. That means everything she's ever done would have to be subject to the most atomic level of scrutiny. You understand? Because if she is wrong, and she's just making things up, or she's crazy, I don't think she is, please understand, I'm not saying, if he's wrong, sorry, if he's right and she's wrong, then he puts someone who creates false allegations in charge of prosecutions in Canada. What does that say about his judgment? Oh, well, you should look at some of the people he's worked with and suggested go into politics and where they've ended up. It's, God, I can't even, I can't even talk about it on this show. You can just look it up yourself. There's no good way out of this, right? Either she's right, in which case there's some serious wrongdoing here, in my opinion, or she's crazy and he put a crazy woman in charge of prosecutions in Canada, which means everything she's ever done is now subject to massive review. He doesn't come out ahead. He's responsible for who he hires and puts into those positions. You understand? Sorry, you do. You do. I'm sorry. I'm just desperate for everyone to get this point because it's not discussed. I've never seen this discussed anywhere. If she's crazy, he has endangered Canada enormously by putting her in charge of prosecutions and in charge of justice. If she's not crazy, I don't think she is. She's not crazy. However, Justin Trudeau declined to respond to any of the specific allegations Wilson-Raybould made about pressure from him, him and his senior staff. He said, I strongly maintain, as I had from the beginning, that I and my staff always acted appropriately and professionally. Our government will always focus on jobs and our economy. We, of course, had discussions about the potential loss of 9,000 jobs in communities across the country, including the possible impact on pensions. Again, some people say that's fine. I don't think it is. I don't think that the law should be governed by how big a corporation you are. But, of course, we live in the real world and blah, 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 blah. They should just make that explicit. Because people just losing trust, losing faith in anything, right? And loss of 9,000 jobs. See, here's the thing, right? Governments like big, concentrated economic concerns, right? Because small, scattered concerns don't find it worthwhile individually to lobby government. Big, concentrated concerns do. So people come up and kiss the ring and promise you favors and give you money all the time, right? If they've concentrated power. If it's a corrupt organization, then what happens is it shuts down and, and people get released and, and they go to better jobs. They start their own companies. They get other jobs somewhere else. And it's probably better for the economy as a whole in the long run. But of course, you know, in the short run, it could cost them the Quebec election, right? So these two things are not separate. You can't just say, well, economics, one thing, politics, completely something else. The only reason you care about the economics is because of the politics. When asked if the RCMP was investigating the allegations of political interference in the matter or planned any investigations, Deputy Commissioner Gilles Michaud, sorry, Gilles Michaud replied, quote, it would be inappropriate to confirm or deny the existence of a criminal investigation. Wilson-Raybould's testimony included Detailed accounts of conversations, telephone calls, emails, and text messages spanning interactions with 11 senior government officials. I mean, they activated all the GoBots for this one. She said, 
For most of these conversations, I made contemporaneous and detailed notes. Notes in addition to my clear memory, which I am relying on today, among other documentation. That's pure speculation. I just, I don't know. Is he going to deny, 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 and then going to walk into text messages, maybe even recordings? I don't know. Would not shock me. So the officials who were named in Wilson-Raybould's testimony included Justin Trudeau, Telford and Butts, who just resigned, senior PMO advisors Elder Marquez and Matthew Bouchard, Monroe and his chief of staff Ben Chin, and Wernick, the ostensibly nonpartisan head of the Federal Public Service. Now, after federal prosecutors decided, this is going back a bit, September the 4th, against the remediation agreement for SNC-Lavalin, and it took only 48 hours for Wilson Raybould's chief of staff, Jessica Prince, to be contacted by Finance Minister Morneau's chief of staff. Right? Less than two days, about two days. Boom, boom, boom. So, Wilson Raybould said he wanted to talk about SNC and what we would what we could do, if anything, to address this. He said to her that if they don't get a DPA, right? So, sorry, let me just back up for a second here. So, Wilson Raybould is talking about the conversation that Finance Minister Morneau's chief of staff had with Wilson Raybould's chief of staff, Jessica Prince. He wanted to talk about SNC and what we could do, if anything, to address this. He said to her that if they don't get a DPA, they will leave Montreal. And it's the Quebec election right now, so we can't have that happen. He said that they have a big meeting coming up on Tuesday and that this, that, that this bad news may go public. Boom, right there. Again, I understand this is what she says, uh, but um, if true, right, then we've got political considerations coming into effect, prosecutorial decisions. Wilson-Raybould said that the first time PMO staff Prime Minister's office staff contacted her office was September 16th when Marquez and Bouchard had a phone call with Prince, right, her chief of staff. Quote, this is from Wilson Raybo. They said that they understand that the individual Crown prosecutor wants to negotiate an agreement, but the director of public prosecutions does not. She added, Wilson Raybo added, that they started to discuss what a, quote, reasonable solution, end quote, could be such as getting outside advice to the prosecutors while acknowledging that, quote, that there are limits on what can be done and that they can't direct, end quote. She said they also brought up the, quote, Quebec election context. On September 17th, at the start of a meeting she had previously scheduled with Trudeau on another subject, Wilson-Raybould said that Trudeau raised the snc leveling case, leveling case, quote, immediately. Now, Wernick, remember Privy Council Clerk Michael Wernick, Canada's most senior civil servant, was also in attendance against expectations. Wilson-Raybould said, The Prime Minister asks me to help out to find a solution here for SNC, citing that if there was no deferred prosecution, there would be many jobs lost and that SNC will move from Montreal. She said she replied that she had already made up her mind and was not going to interfere with the decision of federal prosecutors. Wilson-Raybould reported that the discussion continued with Wernick stating that the company could leave Canada if the prosecution continued. Wilson-Raybould goes on to say, at that point Trudeau jumped in, stressing that there is an election in Quebec and that I am an MP in Quebec 
the member for Papineau. I was quite taken aback. My response, and I remember this vividly, was to ask Justin Trudeau a direct question while looking him in the eye. I asked, are you politically interfering with my role, my decision as the AG? I would strongly advise against it. The Prime Minister said, no, no, no. We just need to find a solution. Now, that's kind of weird, right? A solution. Because there is a solution. The solution is to prosecute. That's the solution. But they're saying, no, we need to find a solution. <laughs> right? Which means the solution is to not prosecute, to give one of these deferred agreements, right? And then now uh, this is the same guy. It's like, I can't tell you what to do, but you need to change what you're doing. The solution is not the solution that you have offered, and there's only one other solution, which is to not prosecute. So you need to find that solution. And then this guy, according to Wilson Raybould, this guy, Justin Trudeau, then has the nerve to say, well, you know, if she felt undue pressure, she kind of had a duty to come and tell me about it. No idea. So according to Wilson Raybould, two days later, September 19, 2018, Finance Minister Bill Morneau spoke with her in the House of Commons. Quote, he again stressed the need to save jobs, and I told him that engagements from his office to mine on SNC had to stop, that they were inappropriate. So, look, look at this. We have a woman saying no to inappropriate contact. And what does the office of the self-described male feminist do? Does, does he take no for an answer? Does he respect her boundaries? If not the law? However, asserted Wilson Raybould, her chief of staff received two phone calls from aides in Morneau's office, including Chin, his chief of staff. After a brief lull, Wilson Raybould reported October 18th, 2018, the PMO's Bouchard called her chief of staff with the suggestion that it would be worth getting an external legal opinion on the issue. We don't like what you've decided, so we're just going to keep throwing lawyers at it until we find someone who disagrees with you. The very next day, SNC Lavalin filed a federal court case, the one I mentioned before, challenging the prosecution service's decision not to negotiate a remediation agreement. Wilson Raybould says, in my view, this necessarily put to rest any notion that I might speak to or intervene with the director of public prosecution or that an external review could take place. Now it's going to court. You, you, you can't change things once it goes to court. And of course, if you were to change it after it went to court, people would say, well, you probably changed it because of the pressure of going to court or whatever it is, right? So she, dug, she digs in. Wilson Raybould detailed many more meetings and phone calls from PMO staff. When she met with Butts, this is Gerald Butts, the guy who quit, December 5th, 2018, she told him, quote, how I needed everyone to stop talking to me about SNC as I had made up my mind and the engagements were inappropriate. Again, newsflash, feminists, no means no. She says, Jerry then took over the conversation and said how we need a solution on the SNC stuff. He said I needed to find a solution. I mean, this you got to change your mind. Well, you see, that's directing you. No, you need to find a solution that's the opposite of what you've been doing. Oh, that's not directing her at all. She alleges Butts told her that the Director of Public Prosecutions Act, which is the one that separates the prosecution service from the Justice Department, 
quote, was set up by former Prime Minister Stephen Harper, end quote, and that he, quote, does not like the law, end quote. <laughs> That's the big legal argument. I don't like the law. Oh, I don't like restrictions on free speech. I don't like uh, paying some of the old taxes that are pretty onerous. Lots of things I don't like. So, as far as I understand it, disliking a law, well, you got to let me know if this uh, disliking the law means you don't have to obey it. That, that's how it works these days. Well, of course, for most people, why would you even want to be in government if it wasn't for the ability to bypass the law, right? I mean, that's why most people want power, is to exclude themselves from the laws put on little people. The two final meetings came on December 18th and December 19th. In the first one, Butts and Telford met with Prince, pushing her to find, again, a solution. Wilson Raybolt, when testifying, read out text messages that Prince sent her following the meeting. So this is her chief of staff reporting on the meeting, including the allegation that Butts had said, quote, Jess, there is no solution here that doesn't involve some interference. Boom, right there. If true. I get it. I get it. If true. So they've got to find a solution. He says there's no solution here that doesn't involve some interference. Interference to my amateur reading of the law, is illegal. Prince also texted that Butts and Telford were very keen on getting Wilson-Raybould to retain a former Supreme Court justice in order to get legal advice on the matter, saying it would, quote, give us cover in the business and legal community, end quote, and, quote, allow the PM to say we were doing something. Wilson-Raybould said, Prince texted her, quote, Telford was like, if Jody is nervous, we would, of course, line up all kinds of people to write op-eds saying that what she is doing is proper. Wow. Talk about manipulation of the press, control of the public message. Well, that's what almost $600, sorry, that's what almost $600 million in bailouts will get you. If Jody is nervous, we would, of course, line up all kinds of people to write op-eds saying that what she is doing is proper. Holy Ministry of Truth, Batman! That is gross. And tells you why, well, why I almost have as many subscribers as the CPC. The following day, she had a phone call with Wernick, right? Canada's most senior civil servant. Quote, the clerk said that the PM is quite determined, quite firm, he wants to know why the deferred prosecution route which Parliament provided for isn't being used. He said, I think he is going to find a way to get it done one way or another. So he is in that kind of mood, and I wanted you to be aware of that. Play ball or go home. That's how I read that particular phrase as she reports it. <laughs> it's not even veiled. Wilson-Raybould said she told Wernick they were, quote, treading on dangerous ground that the Attorney General cannot act in a partisan manner, and that, quote, all of this screams of that. She said, Wernick insisted that, quote, it is not good for the Prime Minister and his Attorney General to be at loggerheads. Right. So, 
he should back off and let her do her job as he should, as he must, as far as I understand it legally. So again, she told him she was starting to have thoughts of the Saturday Night Massacre when Nixon, as we talked about before. On January the 7th, Justin Trudeau called Wilson Raybould to let her know, sorry, to tell her she would no longer be serving as Justice Minister and Attorney General. She said, I will not go into details of this call or subsequent communications about the shuffle, but I will say that I stated I believed the reason was because of the SNC matter. They denied this to be the case. Following her opening statement, Wilson-Raybould took six rounds of questions from Liberal, Conservative, and NDP MPs. The NDP's Murray Rankin said, I have to say that I am very shaken by what I've heard here today. I've been a lawyer for over 40 years. I've taught a generation of law students about the rule of law, and what I've heard today should make all Canadians extremely upset. Liberal MPs demanded to know why she hadn't immediately resigned, why she stayed in cabinet after she was moved to Veterans Affairs in January. <laughs> so what, what they're saying is, you see, if there's the slightest whiff of misconduct, you should resign. By that logic, shouldn't they resign? Well, that's never how it works, right? Now, of course, she did resign after the SNC-Lavalin story hit the media. So what did she say? She said, I decided that I would take the Prime Minister at his word. I trusted him. I had confidence in him, and so I decided to continue on around the cabinet table with the concerns that I had around SNC because I took the Prime Minister at his word. Do you have confidence in the Prime Minister today? asked Liberal MP Randy Boissonneau. Wilson-Raybould paused for a long time before answering. I'll say this. I resigned from cabinet because I did not have confidence to sit around the table, the cabinet table. That's why I resigned. Now, what's going on with SNC? So this is according to Quebec newspaper La Presse. SNC-Lavalin had a fairly intimate relationship with the son of former Libyan dictator Muammar Gaddafi, including allegations that the company hired prostitutes for him when he visited Canada a decade ago. These were some of the federal corruption charges associated with their business dealings in Libya. According to the National Post, quote, Receipts gathered during an investigation of a former SNC-Lavalin executive show $30,000 in payments to Saadi Gaddafi for sexual services in Canada in 2008, La Presse reported. The documentation can now be revealed publicly because the prosecution of Stéphane Roy, former vice president of SNC-Lavalin on fraud and bribery charges, was dropped last week due to court delays. It's like the opening of a Dickens novel. Court delays. No, it's, it's like in the U.S. during the whole mess of the 2007-2008 real estate crash, the housing crash. No executives went to jail. I mean, they were able to arrest people sitting in the park doing protests, but uh, they never, nobody ever got arrested. Back to the National Post, quote, in 2008, Gaddafi was ostensibly traveling to Montreal and Toronto to conduct business and improve his English at the invitation of SNC-Lavalin. He had helped the company secure billions in public contracts in Libya. Thanks also to millions in bribes to Libyan officials, the RCMP 
has alleged, and visited Canada on three previous occasions, but he spent much of his time on other extracurricular activities, according to La Presse's reporting. For the duration of his stay, SNC-Lavalin hired Garda World, Montreal-based company, to provide security for the dictator's son, and they hired four bodyguards as contractors. That focus on security, quote, degenerated, a spokeswoman for the company, Isabel Pennelli, told the newspaper. The bodyguards handled Gaddafi's expenses and provided receipts to SNC-Lavalin, according to court testimony by an RCMP investigator. Transactions they wrote in as, quote, companion services in their expense reports would cost between $600 and $7,500 each. Close to $10,000 in services went to a single escort service in Vancouver. Other payments went to a Montreal strip club and covered events at the Air Canada Centre in Toronto, such as box seats for a Spice Girls concert. The investigation showed that SNC-Lavalin was writing off the expenses as associated with construction projects in Libya, La Presse reported, with the total bill for Gaddafi's trip totaling nearly $2 million. You're going to compete with that as somebody who doesn't have political connections? Capitalism at its finest. Quote, Roy had testified in court that expenses associated with the trip were justified and that he had the receipts to prove it. The expenses were justified at the time, testified another former executive, Riyad Bal-Aisa, who, meanwhile, pled guilty last year to a forgery charge associated with allegations that SNC-Lavalin executives defrauded the McGill University Health Center of $22.5 million in a bid-rigging scheme. What, do they think they're doing construction in Montreal? Well, they probably are, right? Quote, Penelli told La Presse that... Garda World tried to intervene and stop the practice, but then lost the contract with SNC-Lavalin. She told the newspaper that most employees who were around then are no longer with the company. So Peter McKay, he's a former attorney general. He told the Toronto Sun that the police should be called in to investigate the SNC-Lavalin situation. This one going on right now, due to the possibility that someone may have obstructed justice. So this is what he said. When I was prosecuting cases, if a politician had ever called me up, I would have put down the phone and called the police. He also added that we are in, and I quote, uncharted waters, end quote. Now, Peter, we're really not. Come on. There's a reason why liberals get their nickname from that television show, The Sopranos. They're called the Libranos. It's not, not really uncharted waters at all. Subsidies been going on. This is different. I understand this is different, right? This is not an attempt to influence if that's what happened, right? But subsidies have gone on for quite a while to big Canadian corporations. And subsidies are the forcible transfer of wealth from Canadians to these corporations, right? Because it's taxed and spent against their world. Oh, we can vote people in and out. It's like, yeah, well, <laughs> they voted Brexit too. See what happened with that. So commercial nuclear operations. Again, sources for this are below. And I quote, the sale price of AECL was $15 million, but the government will have opportunity to get royalties down the road because it's keeping intellectual property rights. However, the Hopper government will also provide SNC up to $75 million to complete development of a new reactor called Enhanced Candu 6. So that seems important. 
From the same article, the union for AECL, AECL workers condemned the sale, saying that the deal will result in a, quote, hollowed out company, end quote, and might cost thousands more jobs among the corporation's suppliers. Bombardier. Hmm. Quebec-related? Could be. And so governments of all stripes subsidize it. Stephen Harper's conservatives spent taxpayer dollars to shore up Bombardier. So did former Ontario Premier Bob Ray's new Democrats. Dairy subsidies. I mean, <laughs> the, the moment that Canadian farmers get a whiff of a free market, they seem to get the vapors. Here's a quote. The finalized TPP opens up 3.25% of Canadian dairy market to foreign products. Right away, Stephen Harper announced that his cabinet has approved a plan to spend a hefty $4.3 billion in compensation to soothe the vocal dairy industry. It would be another whole day before Harper announced the significantly lower $1 billion in compensation for the auto sector. Canada just entered the global tax subsidy race and the dairy industry got the first golden egg. Huge difference in all the political parties. Uh, Bernie might make that true. All right. Here's another one. Prime Minister Stephen Harper's government has issued a defense contract worth up to $400 million to SNC-Lavalin PAE Inc. Just months after SNC-Lavalin's parent company in Montreal agreed to a 10-year ban on World Bank contracts from more than 100 of its affiliates. Whew! See, they already have a 10-year ban on the World Bank. But Stephen Harper gave him $400 million in defense contracts. You know, I worked with a guy once. Uh, he was from Russia. And we were doing a presentation in a business. And he saw really, really nice cars in the parking lot. He was very cynical about the source of those, those cars. I'll just point it out right now. Sorry, that's too vague a story to be interesting. But I just mentioned it. So what happened? Uh, here's a quote. Washington, April 17, 2013. The World Bank Group today announced the, the debarment of SNC-Lavalin, Inc., in addition to over 100 affiliates for a period of 10 years, following the company's misconduct in relation to the Padma Multipurpose Bridge Project in Bangladesh, as well as misconduct under another bank finance project. <sighs> SNC-Lavalin, Inc. is a subsidiary of SNC-Lavalin Group, a Canadian company, and represents more than 60% of its business. So, this is what Andrew Shear had to say regarding this. Sorry, small font, glasses required. All right. Immediately after the conclusion of former Justice Minister and Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould's testimony on the SNC-Lavalin scandal before the House of Commons Justice Committee Wednesday, Conservative Party leader Andrew Shear released this statement. Justin Trudeau simply cannot continue to govern this great nation now that Canadians know what he has done. That is why I am calling on Justin Trudeau to resign. Further, the RCMP must immediately open an investigation, if it has not already done so, into the numerous examples of obstruction of justice the former Attorney General detailed in her testimony. The testimony Canadians have just heard from the former Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould tells the story of a Prime Minister who has lost the moral authority to govern. A Prime Minister who allows his partisan political motivations to overrule his duty to uphold the rule of law. A Prime Minister who doesn't know 
where the Liberal Party ends and where the Government of Canada begins. And a Prime Minister who has allowed a systemic culture of corruption to take root in his office and those of his most senior cabinet and public service colleagues. I listened carefully to the testimony of the former Attorney General. And like Canadians, I was sickened and appalled by her story of inappropriate and frankly illegal pressure brought to bear on her by the highest officials of Justin Trudeau's government. All to let a liberal-connected corporation off the hook on corruption charges. Before Ms. Wilson-Raybould's testimony, Canadians knew Justin Trudeau had engineered an unwanted, sustained and coordinated attempt to get Ms. Wilson-Raybould to change her mind and stop the criminal trial of SNC-Lavalin. Today, thanks to Ms. Wilson-Raybould's testimony, we now know just how intense those efforts were. Ten meetings and ten phone calls involving 11 senior government officials relentlessly targeting Ms. Wilson-Raybould over a four-month period with the sole objective of bullying her into bending the law to benefit a well-connected corporation. The details are as shocking as they are corrupt. Multiple veiled threats to her job if she didn't bow to their demands. Urgings to consider the consequences on election results and shareholder value above judicial due process. And reminders from Justin Trudeau to his Attorney General about his own electoral prospects should she allow SNC-Lavalin's trial to proceed. As Ms. Wilson-Raybould has so clearly articulated, the people, Canadians entrusted to protect the integrity of our very nation, were instead only protecting themselves and their friends. Mr. Trudeau can no longer, in good standing and with a clear conscience, lead this great nation. Canada should be a country where we are all equal under the law, where nobody, regardless of wealth, status or political connections, is above the law. I believe we can be that country again. Well, thank you so much for enjoying this latest free domain show on philosophy. And I'm going to be frank and ask you for your help, your support, your encouragement, and your resources. Please like, subscribe, and share, and all of that good stuff to get philosophy out into the world. And also, equally importantly, go to freedomain.com forward slash donate to help out the show, to give me the resources that I need to bring more and better philosophy to an increasingly desperate world. So thank you so much for your support, my friends. freedomain.com forward slash donate.